please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, verse 21, to chapter 4, verse 13. Last Friday, we have heard about the preaching about John the Baptist, who came preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah, the long-awaited King of Israel. In today's message, we will hear from God's word who the Messiah is and what he came to do. We will read from Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to chapter 4, verse 13, as we go along on each points of the sermon today. But before we do that, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, your Word will make us understand who Jesus is. Please correct our thoughts about our wrong thinkings about him and cause us to believe in him for who he is and what he has done for our sake, for your glory. Amen. Have you heard about the game Truth or Dare? It is a simple game to which you choose either to tell the truth or do a daring task, a difficult task. And my children loves to play it with me. Just today, when I was driving here, they asked me Truth or Dare. And they will ask a question like, Dad, truth or dare? So I will choose truth. And they would ask a question, something like, is it true that you pour coffee in your rice when you were a kid? But when I choose dare, um, they will ask me to do something very difficult, like dancing for them or singing for them a song. Well, today in the Gospel of Luke, we will hear the biggest truth and the most difficult dare to do, which is done by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In the Gospel of Luke, the biggest truth was revealed, Jesus is the Son of God. And the most difficult task of defeating Satan over temptation was done by the Lord Jesus Christ. All the other human beings have failed to do it, but Jesus Christ has proven that he is the Son of God by defeating Satan over temptation. This is what Luke tells us today in our text. Jesus is the Son of God. And so my proposition this afternoon, because Jesus is the Son of God, submit to him, trust him, and worship him because he is the son of God. There are three points that will help us this afternoon to understand the message. Number one is Jesus' truth revealed. Number two, Jesus is the son of man. And number three, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus' truth revealed. Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is the son of God. So let's hear from Luke on chapter 3, verse 21 to 22. 
When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so let's go to the first point, Jesus, truth revealed. So John the Baptist came proclaiming to everyone, repent and be baptized. His proclamation is very direct to the point that the Messiah comes to bring God's salvation and that everyone must repent from their sins. The Messiah's task is to separate the shop from the wheat. He will separate those people who believe in the good news of God's salvation and gather them to his kingdom from those who did not believe the gospel. And on the day of judgment, the Messiah will gather these unbelieving people and throw them into a fire that never goes out. And here comes Jesus in the narrative. After all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And here's the question for us. And here's the question that might come when we read this passage in the Bible. Why was Jesus baptized? Well, Jesus, according to the angel of God, is the son of the Most High. Remember the preaching of Pastor Jesse when he was preaching about Angel Gabriel telling Mary what his son will do? Jesus is the son of the Most High. He will sit on the throne of his father David. And so, why was he baptized by John if he is the son of the Most High? Does Jesus' baptism implies that he needs to repent just like the other fellow Israelites? To answer that, let's bring another gospel account so that it will clarify the matter. Let's read from Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? In other words, Jesus, uh, John is insisting that Jesus doesn't need baptism. He has nothing to repent. He is sinless. Now, the reason for his baptism is found on Jesus' answer back to John. Jesus said, allow it for now because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. If Jesus is the Messiah and he's the one to sit on the throne of his father David to be king over Israel, then he needs to establish righteousness over God's kingdom. And John came preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah. And what he's preaching is a baptism, an outward profession, distinguishing those who belong to the kingdom of God and those who are not. Those who are baptized are professing outwardly that we are God's people. And those who are not being baptized, not repenting from their sin, are saying, we don't believe in the God that you are proclaiming. And that is why John asked them, repent from your sin because this is God's kingdom. God's kingdom reign in righteousness. 
And Jesus, the Messiah, though sinless, came and identified himself with his people. Jesus said to John, allow it for now, for this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. And he was baptized in the waters of Jordan. And because all men from the whole creation of God are required to account to God, Jesus the Messiah, the representative of these sinful people, took the justice deserved for their sins in the courtroom of God. Jesus was sentenced to death not because of his own sin, but because of the sin of his people. God's justice was executed in the Messiah so that righteousness will rule in God's kingdom. Having, truth, having this truth in your mind, we can now understand the writing of the apostles. Like Peter when he said, Jesus is the spotless lamb of God who carried our sins in his death. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. The Apostle Paul, who is a master of the Old Testament, wrote to the Corinthians that Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us, so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. That's why Jesus was baptized in the water of Jordan. But there's another significant truth about the baptism of Jesus. And what is it? Today, we read in Luke chapter 3 that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. In the Old Testament time, when the Holy Spirit is descending to a person, that means that person is to do a certain will of God. We read in the Bible the story like Samson who has a super strength. The Spirit of God is on him so that he can defeat the Philistines. King Saul was anointed and the Holy Spirit was with him. But when he did not do the Lord's will, the Spirit of God departed from him and he was punished by his wrongdoings. King David, before he became king, was anointed and the Spirit of God descended on him and he became the king of Israel and Israel flourished. So when Jesus was baptized, as he was praying, the Holy Spirit descended on him. It came in a physical form like a dove. It can be clearly seen. The Spirit of God testifies that Jesus is the chosen one of God to do God's certain will. The Spirit of God says Jesus is the Messiah. Another significant truth revealed in the baptism of Jesus is this. Jesus is the beloved Son of God. God is pleased with Him. We can read it in our text. The heaven opened and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. What a wonderful revelation. Jesus is the beloved Son of God. The voice did not come from Moses. It did not come from any prophets. It came from heaven. It came from the Father himself. 
audibly speaking, you are my beloved son, and I am well pleased with you. So Jesus is not just son among the many sons of God, meaning the creation, the whole humankind. Jesus is God's own son. That's why we can read in another gospel, in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Not only Jesus is God's beloved son, but God is also pleased with him. Finally, from the creation of human being, this one pleases God. Jesus is God's son that pleases the father so well. So what is the significant truth here that we can learn on the baptism of Jesus? It communicates to us that the redeeming work of salvation is not coming from the human effort. It is fully the effort of the triune God. Humans cannot save themselves from their sins. They cannot bring themselves back to God. They need God to save them. And this is what Luke tries to communicate to us about Jesus Christ. And if this is true about the Messiah, then the proclamation of John the Baptist still stands today. Repent and be baptized. He is asking every one of us, repent and be baptized. For the kingdom of God is near. But when Jesus himself came, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now. If Jesus has said this when he was still on earth, the kingdom of God is now and today. Repent from your sin. Believe in Jesus for your salvation. Let me tell you a story that can relate to Luke when he was writing the gospel from his context to our context today. At one interview, Rowan Atkinson, the actor who played the role Mr. Bean, told his funny experience when he was in the Land Rover car parts department. There were many people in the, in the car parts section waiting for their car parts, and this one guy approached him because he cannot resist and asked him, excuse me, has anyone ever told you that you're the absolute spitting image of that Mr. Bean? And Roman said to him, well, actually, I'm the one who is playing the role of Mr. Bean. And the guy laughs and looked at Roman and said, I bet you wish you were. And the more Roman tried to claim he was Mr. Bean, the less this guy believed in him. And lastly, this guy said to Rowan, you know what? The resemblance is uncanny. Have you ever thought of doing any lookalike work as Mr. Bean? Because you will really make a significant absolute fortune. You see, like this person who wouldn't believe that Mr. Bean is Mr. Bean, 
many people would not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The Old Testament, the Torah, the Taurat, has been written so that the Jewish people would believe that the Messiah came to do all these things. He came as a suffering king to save his people from their sins. But until today, the Israelite, the Jewish community is still waiting for another Messiah to come. And then Luke wrote this gospel to another Gentile, to a, to a Gentile whose name is Theopolis, but the Spirit of God preserved Luke's gospel so that it will become part of the Bible today, inspired it so that we can hear this gospel. Jesus is God's chosen king. Jesus is the Messiah. The Father in heaven declares who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit testifies who Jesus is. And Jesus claimed himself to be the Messiah of God who will save his people from their sins. Will you believe this gospel? Will you become one of his people? Will you repent from your sinful life and turn towards God and be baptized in Christ? I hope you will not become like that person who insists that Mr. Bean is not Mr. Bean. I hope that you will know who Jesus is. He is the Son of God in whom the Father is so well pleased. After, Jesus, after this, Jesus, um, sorry, Luke proceeds to tell us about the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he began his ministry at the age of 30. He implies that Jesus pleased God, the Father, from birth until he started doing the work he was sent to do. But Luke paused for a moment and recorded the genealogy of Jesus Christ because Luke wants to tell us why Jesus, the Son of God, has to, became, has to become a man. And this is our second point. Jesus, the Son of Man. Let's read from Luke chapter 3, verse 23 to 38. As he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Matat, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Janai, son of Joseph, son of Matathias, son of Amos, son of Nahum, son of Esli, son of Nagai, son of Maat, son of Matathias, son of Simeon, son of Joseph, son of Judah, son of Joanan, son of Reza, son of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, son of Neri, son of Melchi, son of Adi, son of Kosam, son of Elmadam, son of Ur, son of Joshua, son of Eliezer, son of Jorim, son of Metat, son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, son of, jo son of Joseph, son of Jonam, son of Eliakim, son of Melea, son of Mena, son of Matata, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nashon, son of Aminadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, 
son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. Son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Serug, son of Reu, son of Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah, son of Kainan, son of Arpaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah. Son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahalel, son of Kainan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Well, this is a long genealogy where most people skimmed the reading of the Bible. I remember myself when I still unbeliever, I came across with Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, and at the middle, I just stopped, and I asked myself, when will I ever finish reading these names? But this record is not here to bore us. Luke wants us to see the historical context of why Jesus has to become a man. Jesus was thought to be son of Joseph, and he was also thought to be son of Heli. And continuing on, Jesus was thought to be son of Method, son of Levi, and so on and so forth. And at last, Luke records in the genealogy that Jesus is also son of David. Well, what's significant of being the son of David? If you may remember on the preaching of Pastor Jesse, angel Gabriel came to Mary and said that her son is to be named Jesus because he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. In other words, Jesus will become a king. A while ago, I was stressing that out, that Jesus is the son of David, and he will sit on the throne of his father, David. Though Jesus is the son of the Most High, Jesus became a man. He was the long-awaited son of David to be king of Israel, the Messiah who will deliver Israel from their oppressor. And continuing on, another name appeared on the genealogy. His name is Abraham. What is it that Luke wants us to know about Jesus being the son of Abraham? Well, in him, all the nations will be blessed. Peter preached in the, books of, in the book of Acts that Jesus is the son of Abraham. When God said to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring, God is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the son of Abraham, and he's the one who will bring the many nations, the blessings of God. And lastly, we can read on the genealogy that Jesus is the son of Adam. Well, what's so significant of being the son of Adam? Adam is the very first son of God in human flesh, but he failed to do the father's will in the garden of Eden. Adam was supposed to be vice regent or God's representative over all creation. But Adam disobeyed God. He rebelled against God. And all the men that came from Adam, which we can read on the genealogy, failed to do the Father's will. 
all these men failed to become God's image. They failed to reflect who God is. But Jesus, the last Adam, perfectly represented God over all creation. He defeated Satan over temptation. He consecrated what is holy. And he removed what is unholy from God, from God's presence, from God's rule and reign. Well, as we can see in the genealogy of Jesus, it tells us a lot of things about Jesus. But only one thing is clear. Jesus is the Messiah of God. So when you want to know who Jesus is, there's no other place to go. Go to the Word of God. Go to the Bible. Read it. Though this is a simple genealogy, we learn today that this is actually proclaiming the gospel of God. The good news of God's salvation can be found here. So let us know Jesus from the Bible. Have you thought about the significance why the Son of God has to become a man like us? The genealogy of Jesus gives us a picture of that. Jesus is the son of David, the king who will rule over God's people. Jesus demands all to surrender to his rule and reign. Now let me ask you a question. Have you surrendered to God's rule by extolling Jesus as your king? And if you are a Christian, is there any part of your life where Jesus still, you don't want him to claim? Who rules over your appetite for food or for sex or for pleasure or for watching TV or for what is pleasurable in your eyes? Is it you or Jesus? God demands that you surrender to his rule by surrendering your life to King Jesus. Jesus is also Abraham's son. From him, all the nations will be blessed. Where are you looking for your blessing? Do you find your happiness and blessing on another things? Do you find it on another gods? Do you rejoice in money or in wealth? Or in your career, do you love it more than you love Christ Jesus? Do you place your love over a relationship that doesn't please God? Do you love your sins more than you love Jesus Christ? And lastly, Jesus is the last Adam, the perfect image of God. In the same way that Jesus revealed who the Father is, we must reveal God by burying his image respectably. If you are a Christian, do you bring glory to his name? Or do you let his name be despised and be blasphemed because of our unfaithful living? Well, Jesus became a man to identify with us. He represented us to God very well by living his life righteously. And not only that, he became the perfect Adam. He represented us to God so that his righteousness can be ours if we put our trust in him.
if we, if we repent from our sin and unite ourselves to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God, but Jesus is also the Son of Man. But Luke did not end his genealogy to Adam. On the last verse, we read that Jesus is the Son of God. Luke emphasized that. The Son of Adam, the Son of God. And that's our last point. Jesus is the Son of God. So let's read from Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they, when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to, to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Jesus is the Son of God. We have been discussing that. And Jesus is the Son of God who confronts our enemy, Satan, the accuser of our sins. After Jesus was baptized, he was full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights to be tempted by the devil. Well, Luke wants us to see that Jesus was willingly obeying the will of the Father by being willingly led by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted through suffering, through hunger. The key word here is the wilderness. That's why we will recall some of the Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy so that we will understand what Jesus is doing here. Jesus victoriously overcome the test to show his loving obedience to do the Father's will. One thing we also must know is that Jesus did not fight Satan over just three temptations. For 40 days, he was onslaught fighting with the prince of darkness in the wilderness. In fact, the very last 
sentence of our text says that when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. That means it didn't end there. The Satan was tempting Jesus all the way to the cross so that he will disobey God and leave the task that he was sent to do. But we learn that Jesus completely obeyed the Father to the very end of his life, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. But Luke has recorded to us three specific temptations. And let's look to them one by one. Satan said, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If Jesus is the son of God, turning stones into bread was not impossible for him. He can convert it anytime. But we learn from text that he was willingly obeying the father in the midst of hunger. Jesus knew that his upcoming messianic role is to suffer humiliation and death on the cross to save his people from their sin for God's glory. And so Jesus depended on the promises of God that is written in the, war, in the word of God. As Jesus is being tested, he might have this in his mind. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says that the Israelite people, when they were in the wilderness, was sent by God to the wilderness. And Deuteronomy 8 says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus did not live by bread alone in the midst of his hunger. Jesus did not give in to the self-gratification. Jesus lived in every word that comes from the mouth of God, his Father. He trusted his Father. Second temptation, if you will worship me, all will be yours. Now this time, the assault of Satan was direct to the point. He did not disguise it anymore. Satan tempted Jesus to worship him based on his own terms. But Jesus knew that worshiping God cannot be based by our own terms. Worshiping God is based on God's own terms. And Jesus relied once again to the word of God and tell Satan how God should be worshiped. God should be worshipped in his own terms, not our own terms. Deuteronomy 6 must be in the mind of Jesus by this time. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 10 says, And when the Lord God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of, on the la of the land of Egypt 
out of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after another gods. The gods of the peoples who are around you. In other words, Jesus was recalling this passage. You shall not have any other gods. Worship him and serve him only. Satan tells Jesus the most promising terms, but in exchange of worshiping him. And Jesus replied, you shall worship the Lord your God and him you shall serve. Let's go to the third temptation. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Jesus was on the top of the pinnacle of the temple and Satan was tempting him to throw himself down so that the angels of God will catch him. And again, Jesus recalled Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. He said, you shall not put the Lord your God to test as you, as you tested him in Massa. You know, when you read Exodus 17, there's a place called Massa. And in Massa, the Israelites people tested their God and was asking, is the Lord among us? Why did he brought us from the land of Egypt just to die here in the wilderness? And the Israelite people tested the Lord their God. You know, for sure, the angels of God can catch Jesus. But Jesus did not give in to Satan's temptation. He did not abuse the promise of God. He did not claim that he is the son of God and abuse it. Surely he should not be suffering as the son of God under no circumstances that he should be suffering, but he did not test his father. He did not test his father on his father's faithfulness. He submitted himself completely to do the work he was sent to do. Jesus was faced with every temptation and was tested in every way like us, yet Jesus did not sin. In the wilderness, Jesus perfectly acted his role as the Son of God who perfectly represents God's rule and reign, and he has driven Satan from the presence of God. By using only the word of God, Jesus said, it is written. I have many pastor friends in the Philippines who often make a joke. And today I will use it. You know, I'm saying that when we reach heaven, we will see more dirty shelves and cabinets more than we can see people. Because shelves and cabinets spend most of their time with the Bible. That's just a joke. Please don't, do not be offended. What I'm saying to you today is just like how Jesus has depended on the word of God, please depend on the word of God. It is written. So here is my question for you with regards to what we have heard. When we are faced with temptation each day, will we commit ourselves to the Lord by trusting his word? Or will we just trust 
by what we see at the moment and reject the will of God. I hope you will do trusting the Lord God in His Word. And as a church of God, Emmanuel people, we gathered in Christ's name. We represent Him by claiming the name Christians. Do we live our lives together and protect one another by pointing each other to the gospel of Jesus Christ? By the authority that Christ has given to His people to guard the gospel against the onslaught attack of Satan day and night, are we protecting the gospel by pointing each other to the word of God? Or do we just go with our individual lives? Do we seek one another? Do we pursue one another? Do we strengthen one another by using the word of God? Do we gather with God's people, proclaim the gospel of Christ, of Christ Jesus through the preaching of the word each Friday? Or we can just exchange it with anything else in Friday afternoon? Do we bring that word that was preached in Friday in our home and discuss it with our children? Look to the word as what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus relied on the word of God in the wilderness, showing his perfect obedience to the will of the Father. He relied on the word of God. And to those who are yet still to believe in the message of the Bible about Jesus, let me tell you that the temptation of Jesus did not end in the wilderness. Satan let, left him only for a time being. Satan was attacking Jesus until the very end. But Jesus, the Son of God, obeyed the Father's will even to the po point of death, even by dying on the cross. The humiliation of all humiliation. He did not give in to Satan's temptation. He finally went to the cross, bore your sins in his death so that you can be forgiven when you repent and believe on him. Will you believe this gospel of God's salvation that is being offered to you freely? Without pay, Jesus perfectly worked it out for you. Would you accept his rule and reign today by surrendering yourself to him. Luke wrote this gospel account and he told us the truth about who Jesus is. And the most difficult daring task that only Jesus was able to achieve, it is because Jesus is the son of God. So let's come to him in prayer this afternoon. Let us all pray.